Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Welcome back. And I am here on the coast of Northern California, and today the rain has rolled in, and we are so grateful. As many of you know, we have been having some horrific forest fires. Uh, We lost an entire town, the town of Paradise, and I know a few people whose childhood homes are just gone. And it's been devastating. We are hours to the north of that, but the smoke has been laying on us for about a week now. And if you can hear the congestion in my voice, I apologize. There's no way around it. Um, But hopefully this rain will get where it needs to go and, and dampen those fires. So before we get into it, I just want to remind you all to, if you haven't already, to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app and take a moment and go to the podcast, pull it up on your app. And it should say if you maybe have to scroll down a bit, but find where it says rate and review, it'll have some stars. And you can click on the number of stars you want, you can leave a review, all of that is very helpful in getting the word out there about this podcast. And it's it's growing, we're getting more listeners, and I'm getting more interviews lined up. I actually had a brief thought of, uh, you know, maybe I should start coming out every week, but I am very intimidated by that. I have a lot of other stuff going on. So for now, we're going to stick with the the biannual, not the biannual, the biweekly. So, but yeah, please keep reaching out and I'd love to hear all of your stories. So thank you for, to everyone who's been reaching out. Now this week's episode was recorded about a month ago. It was an interview that I really enjoyed and went to places that I wasn't expecting. And I really got a a lot out of this and I hope that you feel the same. The woman is Carrie Caulfield Eric. She is the creator of Yaya Podcasting. And this company was created partly for her love of podcasting, but also out of necessity. Carrie and her husband now have a 17-year-old son who is on the autism spectrum. And there was a period of time where he was at public school and the transition from him in public school that wasn't working into publicly funded private placement where he is now was a year and a half long transition that they call the dark time. So during that time, Carrie realized that she she needed to be able to make money, but also to be available for her son in a variety of capacities. Thus, Yaya Podcasting was born. And not just with the moment in mind, but also as something her son could potentially take on. That was a twist that I really, I really appreciated. And you'll, you'll get to that. You'll hear that in the interview. 
In this episode, we talk about the transition of a child on the autism spectrum into adulthood, what that looks like for them, for him, and how they're preparing for it. Carrie also speaks about advocating for your child, how being at the crisis level can really push you to find the strength in yourself required to face the challenge. She closes with some advice and resources for parents who are looking to create a business from home and who have little to start with. This episode is honest about the challenges we face at times with our children, but is also about finding the strength, the knowledge, and the motivation to navigate ourselves into a clearer and perhaps more comfortable future, if there is such a thing. I hope that you find this episode insightful, inspiring, and as always comforting for the knowledge that we are not alone in our struggles. Now, all of that being said, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. May these rains fill the air in California, bringing with it the sweet relief from flames and smoke and whatever soothing aid to those grieving the loss of loved ones, pets, and homes. To all of you in my Prouder Willie community, may the food be healthy and when not on their plate, out of reach of your child's hands. To those whose children struggle with sensory processing, may your gathering be peaceful and calming, and may your child smoothly ride the waves of input. To those whose children are not able to speak, may their gratitude for you and those around them be evident in their smiles or the light of their eyes. To those whose children need equipment for walking, for sitting, for breathing, for living. May there be plenty of room at the table for those beautiful gifts of technology. To those whose children are no longer here, may the memory of their lives, however short they may have been, bring you joy and comfort on this day. To all of you on this journey, (laughs) may this day the day of Thanksgiving, be free of meltdowns, criticisms, emergencies, tantrums, worry, and grief. May the blessings of this life fill you with gratitude. May your plates be full, metaphorically and tangibly. So to all of you, have a beautiful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanks for being here. So I am here with Carrie, who reached out to me on Facebook through a podcasting group. And I was so excited, Carrie, that you reached out because I had put this poll out on some, uh, some of the social media that I'm on and asking people if, uh, if they had had to leave a job or not take a job because of their child with special needs. And the, the answers that I, I mean, the, it was a resounding yes across the board, except for like one or two. And so you reached out and said that um, you are a mom with a teenage son on the autism spectrum. Um, maybe if you just want to introduce yourself, maybe talk a little bit about your son. Tell us uh, who he is, how old he is. You want to start there? Yeah, I am Carrie Caulfield, Eric. Um, I have a 17-year-old son who has high-functioning autism, essentially, and high-functioning is extremely misleading because, to me, it just means he can, you know, talk and verbalize and 
dress himself. Um, <laughs> you know, he can do these very kind of basic things, but not all the things he can do, all the activities of daily life kind of things. So, um, and developmentally, he is probably somewhere around 10 years old. Mm. And even his uh, bone age is about three or four years behind. And we've actually had that tested, which is, which is interesting. So he's a, a late bloomer, I guess you could say. Um, he was diagnosed when he was in third grade, I believe, second or third grade. And it took a long time to get a diagnosis because I was, he's my only child. And he could pass. I mean, he could, he can interact with adults really well. So they would look at him and be like, oh, first time mom having a hard time with a boy. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was, yes. Yeah, so he didn't get the early intervention. And, and back then there wasn't maybe quite the awareness that there is now about autism and all the different ways it can present. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's a handful. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and uh, that was something that we were talking about before I hit record, uh, just the difference between now and say 10, 15 years ago about just how much broader and bigger the community is, how much more information is out there and how much that benefits our children and the families. And so, yeah, yeah, definitely for the first, uh, five or six years of my son's life, there really wasn't anything. I mean, it, you know, the internet didn't have social media yet. You had forums and groups, but there wasn't anybody spreading that kind of awareness. So, you know, I just had what I thought was a difficult son. I mean, I knew he was different, but, you know, the only information I got were from the doctors and from friends and family. So it was, it was also very isolating because I knew he was different and I had these very unique set of problems as a parent that other parents don't deal with. So there was nobody in my world who could, you know, that I could talk to about it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just so glad that all these, you know, communities exist and connect and keep par parents from feeling isolated. Right. So how, how did you finally get a diagnosis? Who, was there something that just kind of pushed it along? Or? Well, my husband, um, who is my son's stepfather, we married um, when he was, oh, we got together when he was like a toddler still. And my husband couldn't fathom why nobody was listening to me. So I, when we got the diagnosis, it was because my husband went to the pediatrician with me and asked for an evaluation and said he was not leaving without a referral. So, yeah. So they didn't even listen to me. I had to bring my husband in to say, I'm a therapist. I know what's going, you know, I suspect this is going on. And you're absolutely giving a referral to the doctor. So, and it worked. And we ended up with the best neurologist uh, possible, actually. So... So I, you know, I like to look at it as a kind of a blessing in disguise because we have had an incredible amount of support from his neurologist, which is awesome. Oh, good. Is that, do um, kids on the spectrum typically have a neurologist that they see? I don't know how typical that is. Um, 
I know that a lot of local autism parents uh, see this uh, specific neurologist as kind of instead of maybe a psychiatrist. I'm not sure. I, you know, I couldn't tell you medically why. All okay. I know is that that he really does serve the community. This particular neurologist, Dr. G, we call him, serves <laughs> the community um, in a big, big way. And yeah. so, yeah, and he listens to parents and he'll look at me and, okay, mom, what's going on? <laughs> nice. It's yeah. so nice to have doctors like that. There's, there's um, one doctor that I know in the Prader-Willi community that most people do know, but I know there are some spoken about kind of more regionally that people love to go to because they, they under, really understand our kids and they listen. Yeah. They, uh, you know, one of my favorite things about the doctor that we go see in Florida is that she's open to, to all of it. You know, it, she doesn't need some FDA approved study to say, you know, this is working. You know, if a family says, well, we tried this therapy and this is what we saw, then she's, you know, she's receptive to that. So I think yeah. that's a great thing in a doctor. That's, and that's absolutely how, how Dr. G is. And he is, you know, he tries the, I guess the softer approach first. So before medication, we went through different herbs and different uh, coping skills and things, uh, which was nice because, you know, it's a big decision to put your child on some sort of, you know, usually adult medication with, Uh you know, side effects and things that people don't know how it's going to work in a kid. So, yeah. So, yeah. he's just absolutely phenomenal so I'm sad (laughs) that my son is reaching the age where he's not going to see this particular neurologist oh because he's like a pediatric neurologist yes he's a pediatric neurologist so I think he stays with them until 21 Uh uh-huh yeah so so that'll be a big transition yeah and that's the phase that we're currently in is the transitional phase and uh, it scares the bejesus out of my son Aww. to think about himself and as, as an adult. So he's kind of having this crisis right at the moment um, and rebelling in the only way that I think he can. And that is by refusing to go to school because it's the one choice he can make where we really can't do anything about it uh-huh. because he's six feet tall and 350 pounds. <laughs> And you can't move them. Yeah, you can't move them. And thankfully, the school is uh, understanding and is really trying to work hard with them or with us and with him to kind of change the situation. But that's our current struggle. Uh Um, I will say he is in a uh, publicly funded private placement. Uh, So what, what does that mean? So it means that the public school did not work for him. It did not provide him a fair, free education. And the school system and the the state board of education has decided that he needed to be placed into a more intensive program, which is offered by a local private school. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> so I had to advocate. I mean, this this took a lot to get to. Um, our, we live in a rural area, so we don't have quite the access to supports or the skilled professionals in our public school system 
to necessarily handle uh, teenage autistic kids. I think this is kind of beyond their scope and they weren't prepared for the influx of autistic kids that, you know, I guess the rates have been going up and they're just something that they lagged behind on. Um, and so I advocated for the best placement for my son, which was not public school, where they, you know, we had a lot of problems. It was a very traumatic time. Aww. And the first time I had to quit my job <laughs> to, to deal with that. Uh-huh. Um, and so now he's in the, it's a school run through catapult learning, which is, I think, na- a national education company but it may just be on the East Coast. I know they're in other states for sure. Um, But it's a small school and they are absolutely wonderful. It is night and day, which amazes me that my child doesn't want to go to school because I want to go to his school. (laughs) (laughs) So. Well, like you said, if that's the only control that he really has, then. Right. He's exercising it to the max. (laughs) Yeah. And my fear now is that since he's going to be turning 18 and because the school is so pivotal in transitioning him from, you know, childhood to adulthood, that he's going to be cut off from these opportunities simply by refusing, by giving up his place at this, in this program, in this school. Uh So that's... That's the big thing on our plate right now, (laughs) which is huge because it's one of those critical times. Uh, Well, do you think about, and I, I usually, I guess I usually speak to kids or to parents whose kids are a little younger. So um, I don't, I don't know if this question is okay, but like, do you, you're at the age where are you looking at possible like group homes for him or do you expect him to be with you? Is that um, even, that's off the table for now, just one so, no, at a time? <laughs> no, no, and that's, a, and it's actually a great question. So we have been thinking about residential placement because that's really the next step through the school system is a residential school, um, which would be out of state, unfortunately, but if, if that would help him. So anything that would help him, I am... Uh-huh all for because I'm not going to be alive his entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want him to be able to have the most amount of independence that he can possibly have. So, you know, residential's on the table and then in the future group home is absolutely on the table. Um, any, any placement that would help him have independence is uh-huh. on the table, but also if I can, um, provide him with a home as well where he can still have some independence but also have support of us his parents who obviously love him to death Um, then that that's on the table too so we just don't know what what the future is going to look like and what is going to be best for him so everything's on the table right now like you know it's just a matter of figuring it that out. So it's a transition for us too, <laughs> as yeah. his caregivers to figure out, you know, where do you let go and what is going to serve him the best? And those are some pretty big questions, especially, you know, I am a, uh, I'm kind of the no parent, like I'm the parent who says no. 
and really sticks to my guns. And my husband is a parent that says yes more often. Uh And so um, in that context, trying to figure out how, how we're going to let go. Now it's my husband who has a harder time letting go, but how we're going to let go is, is difficult because, you know, in my saying no, I'm saying no for a reason because I have the idea of, you know, what should and shouldn't occur. Uh And so it's hard for me to let go of that kind of guidance control. And, you know, it's very like my, my no, no is logistical. Uh My husband's yes is emotional. Uh-huh. So just trying to figure out how we both let those things go and either put them in my son's hands or in the hands of somebody else who will do that is very difficult. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, out there like philo- philosophical, but that's, yeah. but that's really where we're at uh-huh. right now. That's great. That's a great way to articulate it. That kind of struggle for balance is something that happens a lot when sometimes when uh, situations with Freya, you know, are happening with, you know, either my husband or with uh, like my daughters, they want it to go a certain way. And I'm thinking of the future. I'm thinking of all the things that I've read of the potential for this or that. And why we have to like, keep this, keep, keep on this course. You can't veer off because once you kind of veer off, then it's hard to get back on. And right. so sometimes I'm stickler. I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, but you know, yeah, I know right, that. Right. Yeah. You're like, no, it absolutely has to be this way because in the future, which you're not looking at, it could go this way and that's a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and if you give in this one time, right. So. Then it's going to become a habit. Oh yes. I totally get that. That's <laughs> me. That's my every day. <laughs> well, so when did you, so you said when he, uh, you had kind of a traumatic experience uh, when he was going to public school and that's when you had to quit your job the first time. Is that, is that correct? Yes. So, okay. Um, I'll start with before when, when he was in elementary school, I was working at Walgreens just part-time for some pocket money um and that was filled with childcare anxieties so it ended up where i would just have to drop my son off at my husband's office because we can't find anybody to watch him he was too difficult um and then there'd be a phone call almost every day like or every evening for me at work like okay this happened what do i do from my husband because he, you know, my son was so difficult, (laughs) Um, especially when he was tired. So Uh that made work just anxiety filled because I was just waiting for the call. And I'm sure a lot of parents can relate to the, you know, whether you're at work, you're waiting for a call. If you're home and they're at school, you may be waiting for that call. Uh Um, That that just, even thinking about it now gives me a knot in my stomach. Yeah, I know. And that's a hard one to explain. That happened to me recently. That's actually what, uh, what inspired me putting that question out there was because this is my first year um, that all my kids are in school in like 14 years. And I'm trying to figure out how to make money as a writer. And I'm like, well, if I can't figure it out, then I'll get a job. And I got a call from the school uh, about Freya. And um, anyway, and then so then the rest of the day, like I went and I sat at a coffee shop just down the road. You know, so I was like two minutes away just in case, you know, something right. happened. And then I started thinking like, wow, like, what do you do? 
I, I can't imagine ever being in a situation where I couldn't get to Freya right away if I needed. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that I think is not unique to us. I think it happens to a lot of parents. There's yeah. just, you just walk around with that knot in your stomach all day when your child is in somebody else's care, uh, care because, you know, there will be a phone call. We know our children's uh, challenges and their struggles. And we know how that can go wrong and how somebody else can misinterpret it, not know how to handle it. You know, so inevitably there will be that call and it's usually, it can get to a point where it's on a regular basis. So, um, so I'll fast forward to uh, when my son started having troubles in public school, this was middle school. Um, I had started a business in the scrapbooking industry. I was teaching and I had a podcast and I was, you know, working with all these different companies, you know, to make income. It wasn't a huge amount of income, but it was something that I really loved to do. I got to be artsy and crafty and connect with all the people that I admired in the industry. Uh-huh. Um, and when my son started having problems with the school, there was a phone call every single day. Mm. And that phone call every day turned into us being at the school every single day. Wow. And I couldn't, I couldn't do anything else but focus on my son. I, oh, my cat, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I couldn't do anything else but focus on my son, and I had to uh, stop. I had to stop working, essentially. So all that money just disappeared, and it was literally overnight. Um, I didn't exit necessarily gracefully. It kind of just ghosted everybody. Uh-huh. Oh, there goes my cat again. I'm so sorry. That's all right. I don't mind. <laughs> But it was really, literally so traumatic for me to get a call every day and to have to show up to school every day and deal with another issue that I pretty much ghosted everybody. I mean, I made sure that I didn't have any commitments I was getting paid for. But otherwise, I let everybody know that I shut everything down with my son. I didn't know when I'd be back. And that was that. And so it took a year and a half to get my son's situation sorted out. Wow, that's a long time. It is a long time. It's a long time without having that income too. (laughs) So on top of, and this is where it really hurts because on top of the, the regular stresses of having a special needs child and the extra stress and the traumatic stress of having, the extra stress of having a challenging kind of crisis level situation, Uh you have to worry about how you're going to (laughs) eat. You know, you have to worry about how you're going to pay the bills because you cannot focus on anything else. At least one, if you're in a two parent family, at least one parent has got to be in there with the kid full time or this situation can get even more unmanageable. So that is, that is why, I mean, it was just, it was just like, it was, we call it like the dark time Mm. because it was so difficult. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. So and, and was he at home with you the whole time while you were trying to figure out what what school to send him to, or he was he was still going to school every day during that time, and you were just having well, it it got to the point where we decided with the school that homebound education would be better until we figured out where to go. Uh-huh. So we had a teacher coming into our house, a teacher and a teacher's aide coming into our house um, twice a week, essentially. And yeah. I knew that, you know, it wasn't sustainable. And that is why I advocated for a different placement. Because if you can't deal with it, and I can't, you know, and, and I see that what he's getting from two times a week with a teacher for an hour and a half, you know, that's no kind of education. It doesn't help him with his social skills. There's no, right. you know, that they were doing occupational therapy once a month. And that doesn't work. Nothing sticks with that. So I knew there was something else. And that I just had to advocate for, which I couldn't have done if I was working. Because, right. yeah, that advocation, I mean, that process was long and emotional and exhausting. You know, first I have, because I have to, the school doesn't want to have to pay for it um, when it comes down to it. Uh And I had to convince the school to go on this journey with me and pay for it. And then in order to get this type of placement, I had to go through, it's called an ICE, I think an ICT committee, something like that. It's like an interagency committee you go in front of that has a representative from the Board of Education, a representative from Health and Human Services, uh, a representative from um, the Department of, I don't, uh, there's like a Department of Special Needs, like di- no, disability, something like that. So, and then some of these other people I don't even remember, and I had to go up in front of them and argue why my son needed this placement. So it was you up in front of this committee. Right. Right. And they were, you know, that sounds intimidating. Yeah. (laughs) It was scary, but I think, but at that time I was just so mad. Uh I'm like, you know, it should have never gotten to this point. Um, And it, it goes back to one teacher who just didn't believe autism was a thing. You know, she was an autism is a discipline problem person. Oh, yeah. And that messed it up for, you know, that's how we got here. Because prior to this, he was doing well, you know, and he wasn't having quite the behaviors at home that he was having at school. I mean, there was nothing so extreme. So I knew, you know, that was another, you know, kind of argument I had is we don't, we don't see this at home as like, like they're seeing it at school. And to me, that tells me that's a school problem. Right. But, oh, I was mad. It was hard to be nice. <laughs> so how did you prepare for that? Cause that sounds really intimidating. How did you prepare? What kind of support did you have? If, I mean, did you have, I mean, I assume your husband, but. Um... Yeah, I have my, and my husband the whole time during this, this kind of dark period with the school was a don't rock the boat, uh, Part, you know, kind of guy. He's like, you know, they're just people. They're just trying to do the best they can. Just don't, don't make anybody angry. Uh-huh. But I, you know, I didn't listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> I 
up. And I didn't, I didn't like lash out. I did it very diplomatically, very, because I knew that there was a possibility that this could end up in court. And so I wrote it like I would be arguing kind of as a lawyer, like from that kind of, you know, I don't want anything to come back. I don't want anything I say to come back to do anything that would not achieve our goals and hurt my kid. Right. You know, I didn't want it to hurt my kid. So that's how I approached everything. Um, But I did a lot of reading about the idea law. I read about our states. I read our states um, disability education statutes. I read them for our district. I found a blog, and this is where the internet is so awesome. I found a blog um, specifically written for special education in our state. And someone who had gone, kind of gone through all this before we had. So, and it was like the one guy, because nobody else that not in our local uh, autism community, not, not anywhere could I find somebody who really went through this. So, um, and what state are you in? Do you want to- Del- Delaware. Delaware. I'm in Delaware for anybody who knows. So if anybody from Delaware is having a problem with their school system, you, you absolutely reach out to me and I will, you know, give you whatever support and advice I can. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. And it just, you know, I, and I just had, I was armed with the facts of who my kid is, that I've been his mother for 17 years. So it isn't my first rodeo. Uh, in advocating for him. And I had an understanding of what works for him and what doesn't. So, you know, that's basically the the lens that I argued from. Like, I understand, like, this is your experience with other children, but we're talking about my child and his unique, you know, the symptoms unique to him. Right. Right. And this is what has been tried and this is what has failed. And this is what I know will work. So, so, and so you got up in front of the committee and ultimately they heard you, they listened. Yes, they did. And I was actually really surprised (laughs) 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 because they really didn't look like they wanted to hear me. Like I, and there was one woman who specifically was playing devil's advocate. Um, And it was, you know, and I had, you know, I did have the school's principal and his teacher, like the teacher he would have been with had he not been on homebound education. So I had them there, but for the most part, they were silent. I mean, they brought out the data and the graphs and that was it. So, yeah, it was, I was just, I just had enough. It, yeah. it really got to that point where it, it's amazing how smart you can sound when you're just done with everybody. <laughs> you know, it's in you. Like you draw from, even though it's this incredibly like stressful time and it's just been an uphill battle and you're pushing a boulder up a hill, that strength somehow comes out of you because it's your child and their future, which is so critical especially when they're older. It's just so critical for them to have the right supports and the right kind of education in place for them. So, yeah. yeah. Like I couldn't do that now, like not right now, 
I couldn't sit in front of that board and be like, yeah, he just doesn't like to go to school. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't argue quite so passionately because we're not at that crisis level yet. <laughs> right. So, so, yeah. And, yeah. So that was I, the first time. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, good, good. I mean, good for you. That's, that's awesome that you can do that. And I, I'm wanting to put out some uh, episodes on how to be successful advocates and in, uh, in these meetings and in IEPs and, you know, kind of advice and things for parents. Cause it is so important and it, and it is so intimidating, you know, my very intimidating, very, my experience for like the, when I think of really having to advocate for Freya, um, it's been more with like some medical stuff, mm-hmm. like getting her on the growth hormone at an early age which is not an uncommon uh battle for kids with her disorder and uh yeah it was very intimidating telling doctors that they were wrong right yes (laughs) Yes. or that you know that's just not how it was going to work with her you know but you know if you get if you get the right people and like you said if you're if you're at that crisis point you're you know you're really passionate about it and you really do your work and know what you're saying and you, and you are articulate. Um, you know, they, they, I think people want to listen. Right. Right. So. It's, it's a justification of why they would spend the money essentially. And, and that's yeah. really like with the schools, the money has a lot to do with it because they don't have it for every student. Unfortunately they should, but they don't. So. Yeah. So at what point did you um, really, did you start thinking about creating your own uh, business at home and, and uh, making money that way? Um, well, the first, so I, I basically didn't work for a year and a half. And right. I, you have to forgive me because during this time, like time just kind of, it wasn't a thing then it was, you know, so I think after my son got settled into the new placement there, I went from go doing all these things and constantly every day being some sort of, you know, there was some sort of fire to put out. There was something that I absolutely had to do. I went from that to, Oh, there's nothing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's nothing to do I could play Candy Crush um you know maybe I'll email some people I used to talk to um so there really was nothing to do and the other thing was there that was probably good that there was nothing to do because I didn't have any money to do it with like we had no you know by that point we had no like disposable income Mm-hmm. Um, paying our bills was hard and I thought about you know do I go back to work um, for somebody else because I could go to our local Walgreens and get a job not a problem you know no problem but do I want to be in a place where there's that anxiety like mm-hmm. I had had enough of stress I just wanted calm and which is funny because when you start your own business it is there's a lot of stress but it's a, it's a different kind of stress so I'm like do I well how much would I make if I went to went back to work um and the answer was not very much um and then the other thing since we were we were reaching this transition stage is what does the future look like 
as for me as a caregiver to my son and for my son as somebody who is going to have to, you know, perhaps find employment somewhere. So I thought, could I build something that both makes me happy, you know, makes me productive, puts money in our bank account that actually like actual money, not like, you know, little minimum wage money uh-huh. that, you know, I'm going to sweat for like the, the idea of making seven something in hours. And I could, I could buy a big Mac meal with, with the work in that hour. Like that's yeah. crazy. Like I don't, <laughs> the minimum wage, that's a whole other topic, but yeah. you know, what would it take for us to live com- comfortably and for us to do the things that we need to do and the things that we want to do. So um, those were really the questions I asked myself. And so I started, you know, like, and how would my son adjust to me like being gone for six to eight hours a day? Like we've already just, he just already had this massive transition after this very traumatic time. So my presence, you know, and our routine at home is very important. So I said, well, what can I do at home? Like, what are my skills? And obviously I came from, you know, kind of a creative art crafting background. I, I understand design. I do, you know, I've been doing graphic design and every now and again, I pick up some freelance work for graphic design, like before the dark times. And so I thought, well, let me see what kind of freelancing opportunities are available in graphic design. You know, maybe I could do something. You know, I'm not a great graphic designer, but I can do something to put some money in our extra, extra money in our pocket. And so I went to a freelancing site called Upwork, um, upwork.com. And there were all these jobs that, you know, ooh, $100 and I could do this and I know it would only take me a little bit of work. So I, you know, started applying for things. Um, And that's really, when it worked, when people paid me to do these things, it didn't take me a terrible amount of time. I can do it when my son's in school. I can do it when he's asleep. I can, you know, I can still cook dinner every night, that kind of thing. Uh And yet I can make money. So that's, that's really where it started was from a need, like, how do I, find something that I can fit into my crazy life that I can manage when stuff blows up again, because you know, that, that happens when you have a special needs child, like all of a sudden, you know, you can go overnight. It can be, there can be a crisis and you have to like shift gears and you can't do that necessarily. You can't call your boss at work every day. So I can't come in because my son's having a tantrum Mm -hmm. or a meltdown. Or there's this, you know, thing I need to do with the doctor. So that, you know, was really why I looked into freelancing at first. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. Well, so how did you, so you went from the freelancing site and because now you own a podcasting production company. Yes. Right. I um, love in your, I love in your email, uh, you said that you started I started an online podcasting production business with an internet connection and prayer. 
Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it was. Um, Because when I was podcasting, there were no services for podcasters. And if there were, they were like really unaffordable, like serious, like a thousand dollars for something (laughs) that, yeah, that's not, no. Um, So I, it started with doing podcast cover art for a client and me thinking about how much I missed the podcasting industry, like in a way that surprised me. So I was like, I I couldn't believe I like, I didn't think I had missed it that much, but I really did. So I started looking to see if people wanted help with their podcast, like on the freelance site. And surprisingly they did. So, you know, I was like, can I meet these needs? And the answer was yes. And so I got my first client and it made me money, which surprised me as well. (laughs) Um, and then little by little, I was like, okay, I could do this. Can I do that? And I did. So, you know, can I help somebody set up a podcast? Oh, yes, I can. I remember all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that grew into, can I start a company that does this on its own independently where I go find the clients? I don't have anybody else taking a cut of my fee. And can I make this into a business that perhaps one day my son could work for? Oh, yeah, because I know that I can give him a job. And if he has a problem, then I can cope with that better than anybody else. You know, right? if he has a meltdown and can't get his work done, well, then I can say, I get it you know, let's deal with that and not fire him. Yeah. And then hopefully when he gets much older as he develops, because he's, you know, I think, you know, I've talked to autism adults who are like, yeah, I was like that when I was a kid, but now I'm like at this way, like more adult stage where I can function independently. Is it something that I can leave him to do and retire myself? So that is why... I built my company. It's called Yaya Podcasting. And we offer coaching and editing services and production services and audio repair services to podcasters. I love that you brought your son into it, that that's, you know, that he, that you factored him into all of that. I think that's a really beautiful thing. That's not something that I would have thought of, I guess. I don't know. I mean, my daughter's only seven. Well, yeah, and I think it's an older parent concern because uh, you get to a point when, you know, he's transitioning to adulthood and all of a sudden you're like, oh, what am I going to do 20 years from now if, you know, he needs to be supported and, you know, either I'm not here or I'm just tired, (laughs) you know, you know what I'm saying? So it really is, you know, you're thinking about the seven-year-old stuff and the thing that occurs in the next five or 10 years, which is vastly different from me thinking about the 17-year-old stuff and what's going to occur when he is 22 or, you know, 30. So, 
Yeah, I wanted to build something that would outlast me, essentially, and could be useful to him. And, you know, I don't know if podcasting is going to be a thing in 10, 20 years. I hope it will be. But because I have a set of, you know, skills and podcasting kind of grows with technology. And so my skills grow with technology. If I can get him those skills and have his skills grow with technology, then he'll always have something that he can do. Uh-huh. And he can work not necessarily with people, but for people. So he can have a middleman between him where he doesn't have to deal with customer service because if somebody, (laughs) customer service is hard, it requires a certain amount of social skills. Right. And being told you're wrong is not something my son likes to hear. (laughs) So, So, yeah. So for me, it was all about, you know, building a business in the framework of our crazy lives and my son's unique challenges. Nice. Have you, have you been teaching him any of the skills yet? I mean, are you showing him anything that what you're doing or you? We we talk about it. So here's the other place that he's rebelling. Okay. If I say, you know, so he, he used to listen to podcasts and watch, you know, podcasts on YouTube now he hates podcasts <laughs> because, because I do it and I get so passionate about it. I know it's a phase though. Um, and I, my goal is to teach him. I would like him to create his own podcast so he can just, you know, because that's a great way to learn the skill and it give him an, an outlet to express himself uh-huh. that he wouldn't get necessarily anywhere else. And there are schools now uh, with podcasting programs like public schools and there are podcasts. So I have a friend, um, Andrea Clunder, who actually has a program for special needs kids in public schools. I think in Chicago, she's doing it in a school in Chicago, I believe, where she teaches them podcasting and they go out and they interview interesting people and create a podcast. Huh. Oh, that's yeah. cool. But, yeah. Um, would you mind sending, telling me her name? I mean, maybe, or maybe in an email, like sending me her name and a yeah, contact I, if you have it actually. Yeah, absolutely. I will. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. She's phenomenal. And I, I think I have the podcast, like I can get the, the actual podcast from her school. Okay. Like they're on iTunes. The the kids, the pod, I don't remember what it's called because it's all uh-huh. you know, all the kids is under the same podcast. But uh it's pretty good, actually. Yeah, that sounds so, great. Yeah. Really so cool. definitely definitely I'll send you that information. Oh, okay, great. And so yeah. So you can share it with your audience because how cool is that? Like Yeah. So what have been some of the uh challenges that you have? Um, doing working from home. I know you said something about you know sometimes when you know when your son is in the background, kind of having having oh, yeah. you know <laughs> it's like needing attention. You have to yeah. So um, there are times when my son absolutely hates the sound of my voice, and because I don't have a fixed office, I do a lot of work in our living room. Um, I 
was on the, I was on a Skype call with my, with a guy who helps me with the business numbers. And we had been talking for about an hour and my son had had enough and started cussing at me. Oh. And I was mortified oh. that he, you know, I'm like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> but I mean, it worked out okay. And I pretty much like wrapped up the call at that point. But that is a challenge because obviously, you know, if, if it were a client, it would be a, a big thing. So um, I have to schedule meetings with clients, like when my son is not around. Um, uh-huh. That's the only way that will work. So, which, and makes it a challenge when he tries not to go to school because that's the place he's rebelling now because then he is home. And I just have to... Um, if I absolutely can't like go lock myself in the bed, my bedroom to do the meeting, then I have to be really clear with the ground rules, the boundaries and say, I'm going to have this call and I have to do it here. And it's going to be from this time to this time. And then, and then me, you know, when I'm in that call, I have to stick to that end time. Uh Uh-huh. Because after that, I know he's not going to be able to cope. He's not going to be flexible because that's just not in his nature, especially with time. He is, you know, very punctual. And if you're, if you don't leave 10 minutes early, you're, you're, you're late. Uh And so for him, and I know when I give him a time, I know I've got to give him, you know, 10 minutes later than I would like the call to end. Because if it, you know, just in case we need to talk about a little bit more, it goes over, then it's not like, you know, he's not like, okay, you're done. (laughs) (laughs) And do you let your clients know ahead of time that that something like that may come up or is everybody aware of? Well, I tell them up front and and usually they add, you know, when they say, tell me about yourself and I tell them up front that I have a child with autism. Um, And so that, you know, sometimes creates challenges, but I, you know, I I do the work essentially, like it'll get done. It's just, you know, you have to be a little flexible in that sometimes I can't answer your email, you know, within 15 minutes because I've got to like calm my son down and help him reframe something. And that's time consuming. So I do, I do let him know. And a lot of people, you know, have had, a a positive reaction to it like oh that's you know um they don't say oh it's great your son has autism but they're like (laughs) oh I have a you know friend who has a child with autism or my neighbor does or my you know my nephew's autistic Uh so you know there's a there's again there's a lot more awareness right now yeah you know that that is helpful so and and then what I do um it's just, I make sure that I'm, I'm always communicating with them. So if I do have a problem and be like, you know, I'm having this problem, um, bear with me. And, and then I do my best not to miss deadlines <laughs> because yeah. of it, um, which is a challenge, which means if I have to stay up all night long to get something done, which has happened because my son, you know, I wasn't finished with something and then my son had a tantrum. Uh, you know, or a meltdown, you know, which is what we call meltdowns, and I have to deal with it, then 
you know, once he's all settled and probably asleep, then that's when I can get work done. And unfortunately that happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <sighs> so yeah, so it, it, it can be a challenge. I mean, real, a, a real challenge, especially when you're dealing in a business where there are deadlines, like, you know, I don't ever want it to be my fault that your show didn't get published at 6am on Tuesday. Um, because I know you depend on that consistency. So I, I do try to work ahead and get stuff done when my son is having, you know, either not here uh-huh. or like in a good space. Yeah. So. And and it's, well, I guess you said you're kind of transitioning right now. So, um, cause I was going to ask how often, it, like, is he generally in a good space or, but it sounds like maybe it just fluctuates depending on. It, it, you know, he's, he's moving to a, a consistently bad space. I can say right now with, with brutal honesty, because I know what that looks like. I can see it coming and we're trying to make, you know, prevent that from happening. But I have, I have set clear boundaries when I saw this coming, you know, when he started, I guess, rebelling against this transitional time, which you can't do anything about. So it's kind of futile, but um, he, you know, he has autism, so he doesn't quite get that, that, you know, I can't stop the aging process. Um, so I knew it was coming. And so I ha- prepared him for the fact that this business is not going to stop, that it's for him, essentially. Like, you know, if he wants to have the things that he likes, if he wants to have, you know, a home cooked meal of stew instead of some cereal, then this has to continue. And then I will do my best to make sure it doesn't disrupt his life and to make sure that he still has time with his mom and we can still do family things. But that this can't, this, this is not negotiable for me. Like it, you know, if I have to choose, I've got to choose the thing that is going to provide for us and not, you know, let your negative behavior stop that because that negative behavior is going to go away. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I stop my business over it and have to restart again, that's much like that's harder to recover from than his meltdown or his difficulty at this point. Uh-huh. So, you know, so I started setting up those boundaries ahead of time. And I know that that may seem almost cold, but we're in that transition space where I have got to think about the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years for him. Um, uh-huh. and, and I need to keep a roof over our heads. And that is, you know, and, the, and also because now my husband's not working anymore um, because he has his own disability, that, you know, this income is extra important. And I don't yeah. want to be rich. I'm not, I'm not, you know, doing this to get rich. I, I really am just doing this so we can live comfortably and have, you know, him taken care of. So, and have health insurance and things right. like that, you know, because. <laughs> yeah, essentials. Yes, it is. It's very essential. So that this is like, um, although my husband does get disability and I get, and my son gets disability too. 
um, it's not enough to pay for everything. Like, and especially not, you know, it's hard to feed a 17 year old boy. <laughs> on, well, especially like, such a big one. I mean, it's I know. Big. Yeah. He's built like a linebacker. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I have, I, we do a lot of preparation in this house. So, if we know something is coming up, then we get him acclimated, my son acclimated to the idea. And so that's what I did with the business. It's like got him acclimated to the idea. The good news is I think he does understand it because when something great happens for the business, he gets excited too. And I hear him say to his friends, my mom's a podcast producer. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I know there's that sense of, and I've tried to build, build in him this sense of ownership. Like this isn't just mine. This is yours. So you know, and when he's, you know, my next step for when he's in a, you know, when I think he's ready and when he starts participating in the business is to actually put him, you know, give him ownership of the business. Uh-huh. So he feels like, you know, so he knows it is, it's not just mine. It's not just what I do for fun, even though I do enjoy it. You know, I want him to have a sense of ownership of it in the future. And hopefully he'll want to really start participating in it. That's so cool. I, lo- I love that you've included him in that. I think that's great. Really, you know, my it's a family business. I want it to be a family business. Yeah. You know, and I want. I do. I am trying to build something, not just for me, and not just to keep a roof over our heads, but something that will, you know, serve him as well in whatever that means. Uh for him you know and let him decide what that means I mean if he just wants to piddle around with technology that's fine too I mean there are a lot of places you can do that in this business so you know yeah so it had you know wanted wanted to make sure it was as flexible as as I am as his mother (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's good yeah Oh, okay. oh no, I was going to say, but yet intransigent at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to um, be really aware of the time, uh, especially after this conversation. But uh, is there, did you have any piece of advice or any resource or, or anything that you wanted to share with uh, the parents out there that are perhaps struggling with this issue of, you know, not being able to work, but needing to figure something out. Is there anything that you can offer? Well, I would say, I would say if you think that having your own business is the way you want to go, then I would start small. I would use a freelancing site like Upwork. um, And there are a couple others out there, depending on what you do. um, And make sure that if you have a skill that nobody else has, and, and this is um, the great thing about the internet is there are things that you have that are skills that you didn't realize were skills um, that you can monetize. So look and see what's available. Look and see if anything sparks your curiosity, your passion, like that you think you could do and then start small with it and look at what other people are doing with it and trying to try to figure out where your 
your you can fit in that space and what you can offer and don't undervalue yourself either don't take a job for ten dollars because it's going to be more hassle than it's worth because your time is incredibly precious i know your time is precious because you've got a lot on your plate and when you're doing something for you know when you're doing a business thing it's a it's a time you can't be doing a family thing or a, a special need thing or a caregiver thing like a, or a self-care thing so start small and see if it works for you um and then there's a a podcast i would recommend it's actually one of my clients who does it but it's called lessons from a quitter and while it's not geared to like uh you know special needs or anything like that it's people who quit really awesome jobs to go start their own business. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in there that you can take away. So I'll share that. I'll give that link to you. But that would be my advice. 